We're in the second week of a series going through some of the themes that run all the way through the Bible as symbols and ways that we can interact with those and understand them a bit better. This week, we're talking about fire. Now, when I mention fire, what does it bring to mind for you? I guess that the mention of simply the word fire, it might bring very different things to mind for different ones of you. Some of you might have immediately jumped in your mind to a winter, warm, crackling fire in the fireplace while you're swaddled in the plush blanket with a mug of whatever warm thing you might prefer. Fire brings comfort. Others of you might have thought of the flames slowly dying down in a barbecue or leaping up out of a campfire. Fire as the tool by which we get to slice into a delicious steak or enjoy a gooey s'more. Fire is tool for sustenance, among other things. Some of you may have thought of the smaller flame of a candle, giving soft light to a dark room. Fire is light in the darkness. But, of course, in Southern California, and all the more it seems as each year passes, although we thankfully got a bit of a respite this past year, we know that fire has a side that's far more dangerous. Some of you may have jumped in your mind to the skies turned orange with smoke, the acrid evidence that fire is raging out of control its destructive power leaping closer to the neighborhoods of people we care about, or maybe even our own, fire as destruction. Comfort, sustenance, light, destruction, fire contains them all. We see this same thing in the Bible. In fact, this is one place where our own cultural associations, or at least those of us who live in Southern California, with fire are pretty similar to those of ancient Israel, since their climate and ours are pretty similar. So in looking at the symbol of fire, we're starting from a decent place for once without the usual need to try our best to go back and understand a very different cultural setting. Then, as now, fire was a source of comfort and protection from wild animals. It was a source of life and sustenance. It lit up the dark night and illuminated the unknown in a world without electricity. Fire was a source of destruction and death. And just to keep our streak of mentioning the book of Exodus going every single week, as the Hebrew slaves flee from Egypt before Pharaoh changes his mind, we're told that a pillar of fire appeared, lighting the way for the escaped slaves and leading them through the night. Then at the banks of the sea, when Pharaoh's army was closing in, the pillar of fire moved between the huddled slaves and the murderous soldiers, fire as protection, much the same way that fire could be used to ward off dangerous animals in the night. Fire is a symbol in the Bible of protection, comfort, life, guidance. But here is God speaking to and commissioning the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 5.14. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, I am now making my words in your mouth a fire and this people wood and the fire shall devour them. Now, I could have chosen dozens of other examples from the prophets of that same use of the image of fire. But here we're going to jump to Jesus speaking in Luke 12, verse 49. He says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already ablaze. Similarly, there are dozens of other examples that are similar in the Gospels. But let's jump forward once more to an example from Revelation 20. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Fire is destruction, the physical manifestation of the wrath of God, bringing judgment upon the systems and structures and persons who have brought oppression and violence and sin into the world 
where God dreams of justice and peace and light. These images seem discordant. Fire is comfort, protection, light. Fire is judgment and destruction. But there is one more way fire shows up as a symbol in the Bible. We go back to Exodus again, to a shepherd named Moses tending his flocks in the wilderness of Midian. This is Exodus 3, 2. There the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. And now forward to Acts chapter 3, where the disciples are hiding in an upper room, waiting for what comes next after the risen Jesus has ascended to heaven. This is Acts 3, 2. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. This is fire as God's presence, speaking to and through and residing in God's children. And in fact, that is the lens that when we look through it, corrects the double vision and unites the image into one. Fire is not a conflicting dichotomous symbol. Fire is one symbol with one meaning. Fire means God's presence. In fact, I think I am basically right in saying that any time fire comes up in the Bible, other than a literal fire used for cooking, and even sometimes then, like with the fire that cooks the sacrifices in the temple, this is what the symbol means. God has come. God's presence is here. When you are reading the Bible and fire is used as a symbol or almost a character in the story, that's your starting point. God's presence is here. God's presence to protect. God's presence to guide, God's presence to destroy. Those sound dissonant to our ears, like playing adjacent white and black keys on a piano, but are they? Paul certainly didn't think so. Here's Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each builder choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that someone has built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a wage. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, Paul's speaking metaphorically, of course, of the lives that we as followers of Jesus live. We have choices every day of whether we are going to go about our days living in such a way as to reflect the character of our God and bring that character into the world around us to build with gold and precious stones, or we can choose to live in ways that don't align with that character, to build with wood and straw. Now, when Paul says the day will disclose it, he's referring to what some call the day of judgment, the day when God will finish the job of remaking the whole world entirely in God's image. Paul uses the image of fire because when the presence of God comes in all its fullness to remake the world, it will be like fire. Burning up the straw the worthless things that seem so important in the moment but 
aren't worth keeping into eternity. But the precious stones, the jewels that glimmer with God's goodness and character, those remain. Same buyer, different result. We have to remember, if we're going to understand the seemingly discordant effects of fire in the Bible, we, we have to remember that God's dreams are for the whole world, that the whole of creation would be full of the goodness and justice and peace and life of our God, that God's character would permeate it all, and that we humans would be God's co-workers in bringing that to reality, even if God will be the final guarantor that it will all end up right. I imagine it kind of like how when I'm doing some sort of project with my kids, they might do some of the steps, but I'm going to check at the end to make sure all the boards are straight and all the screws are tight before we call it a day. God's bigger goals are why the fire of destruction matters and is actually good news. Because God coming as a destructive fire means that the systems and structures and obstacles to God's goodness will not survive forever. The forces of injustice will be burned. The temples of oppression will be raised to the ground. The structures of violence will go up like a tissue paper in a match. This is good news for all those who long for the day when Jesus would put the world right. But sometimes, when we have intentionally or not helped to build those structures of violence, or have bought into the lies that tell us the way to life is through selfishness or greed or protecting our own rights and what we deserve while being blind to the effects on those around us or on creation, when we have built with straw, we might find ourselves singed a bit too. And perhaps paradoxically to our minds, that too will be good news because it will be removing forever those things that pull us away from the life that God intends for us. Like surgery to cut out the cancer that would otherwise take over the whole body. The Old Testament scholar John Walton points out that it's only since the Enlightenment, only in the last few hundred years, that we have thought that human happiness was the highest good. That that perspective, that my happiness and fulfillment is what's most important, that's a relatively new way of looking at what is good. And what we're confronted with in Scripture is a God who has bigger plans than our happiness. And we're confronted with the realization that some things will need to burn when the presence of God comes. And that that's a good thing, even if we find ourselves a bit singed. Because that is how the bigger plans of our God will get accomplished. And in fact, to go back to the doing projects with my kids metaphor, this is one of those places where raising a child to maturity is a helpful image. It's one that's found throughout the Bible to describe God's intentions for us. Because we parents, any of you who are listening who are parents, we cause our children pain sometimes. And I'm not talking about, in this instance, the times when our own selfishness or insecurity or fear causes them pain. I'm talking about when we have a bigger goal in mind for the type of mature human we hope they become, and we cause them some pain in the short term, so that they might attain that dream in the long term. That something our kids are doing or not doing is standing in the way of them becoming those humans we hope they'd become, and that, that thing needs to end. We see this all around us. We see examples of things that need to end in order for God's ultimate purposes to come to fruition. And often those things come into conflict with our own individual or collective pursuit of happiness. To give one big example that's very pressing in our world today, our pursuit of human ease and happiness 
comes into conflict with sustainably caring for nature. Our desire for cheap fuel so as to benefit ourselves is causing the life-giving fire of the sun to turn into a climate-warming threat. Those things have no place in God's dream for creation. They need to burn. Our desire for safety and security, protection from violence, causes us to cling to the myth that violence is the path to peace and safety. That if we just kill all the Hamas terrorists, then Israelis will be able to sleep comfortably in their beds. That if more people had guns, they'd be able to protect us from the bad guys who have guns. We see the effect of these choices in the fear and anxiety and further violence that surrounds us and that dominates our political discussions. Those things need to burn. To go back to Egypt once more, the fire of God's presence was good news for the Hebrew slaves when it came, even as it was bad news for Egypt. (laughs) Egyptian empire and oppression were standing in the way of God's dreams of a society that honors the image of God in all people. It needed to burn. In exactly the same way, the fire of the Civil War was good news for American slaves as well. The whole system needed to burn so that something more just could be built up. Now, we didn't exactly do that building back up uh, perfectly in America, even with a second shot at it. I think it's safe to say. But here's the key. The coming of God is good news for God's people, both when it is God's protecting presence and when it is God's destroying presence. Because God's destroying presence only comes in the service of moving the world towards the perfection that God dreams for it. Part of growing and maturing into who God made us to be is coming to realize this fact, that even when God's presence is painful, it's still good news. That we trust that God is doing it for good, for our good and for the good of the world. So we close echoing the penultimate verse of the whole Bible. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.